1: Welcome to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg, editor of The Herald Times, along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And our topic today is the debate in Washington about the national debt and whether to raise the debt ceiling. Our guests in the studio are John Miksel, professor of economics at uh, SPIA at Indiana University, uh, Todd Walker, who's assistant professor of economics at Indiana University, and Charles Taylor has made the trip. Uh, to be here with us today. He's a professor of political science at Ball State University's Bowen Center for Public Affairs. If you have questions or comments, and I would expect you would have lots of both, uh, you can call us at 855-0811 or toll free 877-285-9348. WFIU.org slash noon edition is our web address if you want to join the conversation there. So uh, welcome to everybody. Thanks for being here.
0: Yeah, Yeah, really, thank you for being here. This is such a complicated topic that I'm thrilled to have you all in the studio to help us make some sense of this.
1: It's been uh, a lot of – there have been a lot of conversations about it, and and it's hard to say who knows, you know, what they're talking about. But we've heard a lot of – a lot of things on this radio station, on NPR, and we've, of course, had a lot of things in the newspaper about it and talked to a lot of experts. Uh, I'd like to get somebody, one, one of the three of you, and you, know, you can decide which one, to sort of uh, talk about some of the, the terms that we'll be talking about today, the, uh, you know, the national debt versus the deficit. I think some mm. people just don't know even the difference between those things. Uh, the debt ceiling, what it's there for, what, you know, why it's there, how often it, it usually gets raised, and why now are we talking about it so much? John? Uh, well,
2: I guess uh, I could start by talking about debt versus deficit. Uh debt e- equals the uh, total um outstanding obligations of the of the federal government. It's the total amount that uh, uh the federal government has borrowed over its uh over its long history. Uh, and uh, our current debt level is uh uh, Fourteen trillion dollars or so, and it's important to understand that in its entire history, the United States has been out of debt uh, only for a brief period of time in um, the eighteen thirties. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the rest of uh, of the history of the United States, starting from the beginning until now, except for that period of time, we've been in debt. Uh, the The deficit is the is the difference between uh, the amount that we 're spending in a particular year, and the amount of revenue that we 're we 're bringing in uh, the debt is the result of those accumulated deficits so if you think about the numbers, you realize that most for extended periods of time we've we 've had deficits
1: um, so just just to clarify this i mean the fact is if 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 we continue to have deficits, the debt will continue to rise. Exactly. Right. And,
2: and it's important to understand that nobody is proposing anything uh, currently that would actually reduce the debt. Mm-hmm. Oh. Uh, every, every proposal coming from everybody anywhere, going back even to uh, the Paul Ryan proposal of a few months ago, uh, will actually increase the level of debt. Uh, various of them will reduce the amount of the amount of the deficit, uh, which reduces the rate of, of increase mm-hmm. of the of the debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, They're
0: saying because the economy is in the condition it's in that this is just something we can't even tackle right now. We've got more immediate concerns that yeah. we must address.
2: There, there's some there's some argument about that, but. Uh, but I think, given the uh, uh, given the somewhat fragile state of the overall economy, uh, this is not the best time to uh, uh, increase uh, uh, taxes or reduce spending. Uh, but but certainly, uh, in the medium term, we have to do we have to do things to uh, uh, change the imbalance.
0: Okay, so you say it's not a good time to reduce. Taxes or spend in, increase, increase, increase taxes. In, tax. That's what I meant. Increase taxes or reduce spending, yeah. which is a little counterintuitive. You want to explain that?
2: Well, um, we we have uh, lagging consumer spending. We have lagging uh, business investment, uh, and if we add to that uh, lagging uh, government spending, um, there's not a whole lot of good that will will come from that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the exact amount of the response is subject to dis- dispute but it 's hard to make a case that uh, uh pulling out of of uh, the economy is uh, stimulative
1: Thank you Todd, do you want to react to that? Do you agree with john uh Yes i do okay, uh, So let me
3: go back and answer the question sure. about the debt ceiling. so the debt ceiling was an artifact of uh the world 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 war wars, and what happened was before World War I, uh, it took an act of Congress to issue any kind of new debt. Mm-hmm. And this was inefficient during the World Wars because we had to raise a, a lot of uh, resources. We had to issue a lot of debt. And so they put in place a debt ceiling, uh, which was the maximum amount of debt that, that could be issued. And then after World War II, this, became, uh, this, this was applied to all federal debt. The debt ceiling has been raised uh, 70 or so times since 1960, 10 times in the last 10 years. So it's something that uh, has, been, has been raised quite often. So getting back to John's point, I think he's exactly right. So what you want to see uh, in government spending is you want government spending to be countercyclical, which means when the economy falls, government spending should go up. And the reason for that is you have something called automatic stabilizers, like unemployment insurance, that kicks in. And you also expect revenues, almost by definition, revenues are going to fall. So deficits are going to increase. So the, the, the deficits that we've seen in the last few years have mainly been a result of the recession. We went, the economy is still very weak. So the GDP numbers just came out this morning. The uh, first quarter GDP was revised to 0.04%. So we're on, on the brink, on the precipice of another recession. And doing something drastic to government spending now is just going to push the economy into recession. So I totally agree that it's not the time to be either talking about substantial tax increases or substantial reductions in government spending. Mm-hmm.
1: So um, Charles Taylor is a political scientist, and I guess I'll ask you why, why this issue is so much in the forefront right now.
4: OK. I, I think another thing to uh, point out about the debt ceiling, with having a, a debt ceiling that's a uh, decision-making process that's separated from the budget, you're sort of disconnecting two related Aspects of fiscal policy making. On the one hand, you have you know Congress passing budgets and making appropriations and making decisions to spend more than they're going to take in in revenue, which is going to increase the debt. Um, and so that's one. That's why they periodically have to raise the debt ceiling, uh, is because they you know they run some level of deficit, you know virtually always. Um, there was a period from like the late 70s into uh, the mid 90s when uh they had a rule in congress that the that the, the debt ceiling increases were automatic with the appropriations and that was undone um in 95 after uh republican majority came in to uh congress so so what happens is it allows uh you know, i guess from a political aspect it, it allows you know a congressman you know a representative to uh you know vote for this uh basically vote for spending and, and vote for, for imbalanced budgets and then come back later and make uh, – when they find that politically uh, opportune, then they can make a statement against you know this large debt that we're running up by voting against the, the debt, debt ceiling. Mm-hmm. And that's why you, you typically – you see members of the minority party voting against debt ceiling increases and members of the majority supporting them in. That just flip flops. Um, So so this is what
1: you're saying. This this is all a budget discussion, just out of cycle with the budget, basically.
4: Yeah, yeah, I I think this is part and parcel of a larger debate that's going on about the you know the appropriate level of of federal spending, the size of the federal government, and you know what it's going to spend money on.
1: Mm -hmm. All right. Our phone numbers, 855-0811-877-285-9348. WFIU.org slash noon edition is our web address. Please go there and uh, make a comment or leave us a question, whatever. Um, yeah, I wanted to follow up on that. I mean, the the there have been so many things that, that have been discussed politically. For instance, I mean, you're talking about you know, the, the previous automatic increases in the debt ceiling and – and how now, you know, there, there's a vote after the Republican majority came in in 1995. Um, one of the, the, the plans on the table, the, the Boehner plan, John Boehner's plan, calls for a retur- another discussion about this in six months. Is that a wise thing to do from your point of view? I know I'm getting into politics a little bit here, but.
3: In, in terms of the economics, so there's, again, the economy is extremely weak. Unemployment is still 9% federally, uh, 8% locally in the state. And this type of uncertainty with respect to the debt ceiling. So a default event would be uh, a catastrophe for the for the current economy. And I think to put the economy through this again uh, in six months' time uh, is a mistake.
0: Mm-hmm. And let's, let's define a default event.
3: So a default event is – so they're, they're – Estimates that August 2nd is the deadline in which uh, tax revenues will, will run out and will not be able to pay the bills going out. So uh, a default event is you cannot pay the current bills that the government owes. And uh, this would be you – know, so the president has talked about Social Security checks. You know, the problem is no one really knows who's going to get paid and who's not going to get paid in the case of a default event.
1: Uh, and that's part of the uncertainty. Um, and a lot of the – there have been a lot of people on, on NPR who have been speculating about things. And a lot of the, the folks that, I, that I've heard um, have talked about the fact that creditors would be paid first and that – which would mean that programs would be cut. I mean there might not be mm-hmm. – you know, the, in a catastrophic sense, Social Security checks might not go out. Um, government workers might not be paid, those kind of things. Does that make sense that the creditors would have to be paid first, John?
2: Well, I, I think the odds are that uh, the, the bondholders would be paid first uh, under the presumption that uh, uh, this would have uh, less impact on uh, uh, the United States in credit markets. Um, but um, there certainly are going to be other other impacts. Well, the interesting thing is I, I lived in Russia in the – in the late 1990s. And this was a regular problem for uh, Russia and other countries of the former Soviet Union. It was called arrears. I mean, it was regularly the case that the, 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 the government didn't have enough money uh, to make payments. And so uh, uh, people would stand and as money would come in, uh, it would get paid out uh, on some sort of a random basis, finally got systemized. Um, basically who who stood in line first. And at that time, there were lots of United States Treasury advisors in these countries preaching to uh, uh, the ministries of finance about how to deal with the arrears problem. And, and I'm guessing that there are a bunch of those people in those ministries of finance who are just itching to call up the United States Treasury and say, Oh actually, now we 're the advice <laughs> we have the expertise on this. You should listen to us now mm-hmm. because we know how to systematically stiff people that we owe money to mm-hmm. uh, so it 's an inter- it 's interesting time uh, a time that we would never have guessed would have happened
3: hmm. yeah. well go ahead, Don. We, we want to avoid this at all costs mm-hmm. right I mean this is the situation where we hope that the, the politicians can get together and come and resolve the situation because. Uh, the markets still, I, I think, are uh, factoring in, they hope, uh, looking at interest rates, you know, the stock market, that politicians are going to come to a mm-hmm. deal. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I hope – so getting to the question of who's going to get paid, I hope we don't have to really think about right. the, the hard answer well, there. Well,
2: before, yeah, the, we'll, Todd, Todd's point is uh, it's not an economic problem. It's not a fiscal problem. It is a purely purely political problem.
5: Mm.
0: Which answers my question, yeah. which was this, I mean, I, we weren't even talking about this, uh, you know, a year ago, at least in my circles, which, you know, doesn't say much, <laughs> I guess. But, but you know, this just seems to have blown up um, rather recently, and, uh, you know, and it's a huge, huge crisis.
4: I, I think, a, you know, a lot of what's happened, you know, we've we've had these votes before and there's a lot of, you know, partisan bickering about, you know, raising the debt ceiling or not, but they've always... I mean, you know, legislators cut deals. And so they've they've been able to cut a deal and and raise the debt ceiling and and go on for a while. Um, A a big part of what's happened, you know, we had the election last year. There's been a a big influx of Republican uh, freshmen uh, in Congress that, you know, ran on on very staunch platforms of fiscal responsibility and and limiting deficits and and rolling, you know, scaling back government. And they've really dug in their heels. and, And I mean, that's, We've seen an example of that the last couple of days, uh, Speaker Boehner has had difficulty, even with his own within his own congr- uh, caucus, getting enough votes to pass uh, his plan. They were they were going to vote Wednesday night and uh, called it off, and and or I guess Thursday last night. night, yeah, last night, yeah, um, and. I think, planning to vote again today, but it, it still remains to be seen whether he's going to be able to round up uh, the the votes to do it. So, but, well, I, we've got a couple of calls, but I want
1: to ask this question right before I go to the calls because you know, you've called it, Todd, you've called it, said it would be a catastrophe for there to be a default. I have heard a couple of, um, of politicians, I believe some of the, the freshmen from the Tea Party uh, wing of the party. Uh, basically say that they don't believe that's true, that they, they think that it wouldn't be as catastrophic as people are trying to, to say. Your reaction to that? Well,
3: here's the U.S. debt has uh, long held a very important place in investors' portfolio, and that is a risk-free asset. So mm. uh, investors have not demanded a risk premium on U.S. treasuries uh, hardly ever. And when you just bring up the, the probability or the, in, any kind of hint of a default event, now investors got, start to get a little bit worried. They start to demand a little bit of an interest rate premium. And then what does that do? That, does, uh, that, that makes it much more difficult to pay down our, our debt because the debt service becomes a lot higher. Mm-hmm. Uh, So that's one way in which uh, this default event would really wreak havoc is interest rates are going to go up. And this is, again, because the economy is so weak. You've got uh, the housing market that's still weak. A lot of people are rolling over their mortgages. They have these uh, adjustable rate mortgages that have to roll over. If interest rates go up substantially because of a default event, the economy could uh, very well go back into a severe recession.
0: It's really a house of cards. Uh,
3: Yes. I mean the the politicians are playing with fire here, and uh, it's it's time to – put the fire out. Mm-hmm.
2: And yeah, we we don't actually know what the impact is going to be, but there's no sane person that says the impact is good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It
2: ranges from horrible to small, but the sign is always
1: negative. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to the phones. We've got Stan on the line. Stan? Hi.
6: Hey, I, Stan. I wonder if, if the participants could distinguish between... The high profits that the major corporations are making, and the fact that income is flat or or down for individual citizens and ordinary taxpayers, so that raising the costs to large corporations seems to me would have less of an impact on our economy than putting people out of work or reducing the payments to people who depend on their payments to keep
1: their mortgages, and, and to
3: keep their families uh, intact. Reaction, Todd? So <clears throat> corporate uh, tax revenues, n- n- and it doesn't matter how you measure them, you measure them as a percentage of total revenues, as a percentage of GDP, uh, they've been cut in half fr- since about 1950 or 60. Uh, and <clears throat> I think there's, there, there are important reasons for that. One is uh, we've gone to a more global economy. So it's easier for uh, corporations to shelter profits from U.S. taxes. U.S. taxes in terms of the corporate taxes are – if they're higher than uh, the world tax rate, then corporations are going to move profits around mm-hmm. to kind of hide – to shelter these, uh, these profits from taxes. The other thing is uh, we've had tremendous financial innovation in the last few decades. And the financial innovation has also allowed corporations to shelter their, their profits from taxes. And so you know, what, what would happen is if you really want to shift the burden onto corporations and you push the corporate tax way up, uh, revenues may not go up by as much because then mm-hmm. that's just going to move more corporate profits overseas. So there, th- th- we, need to, we do need to close a lot of these corporate tax loopholes, uh, which uh, some of the politicians have talked about. That definitely needs to happen. But trying to push all of the burden onto corporations, given this global economic environment, uh, I don't think is going to lead to increases in substantial increases in revenues.
4: yeah, you know, one thing I think it's interesting about I guess about a month ago um, when uh, President Obama and you know congressional leaders were you know really starting some of these negotiations, the president was pushing for what he called the you know the the grand bargain where they they looked at at some uh you know rather large deficit reduction. And coupled that with, you know, reform of the tax code that wouldn't have necessarily overall increased tax burdens a whole lot but would have uh, reduced uh, some of the you know, tax expenditures and loopholes and try and mm-hmm. make it a, a, a flatter, less distortionary tax code. But that, you know, was pretty well shut down because, you know, any view of, of changing some of the existing uh, tax benefits that are provided to certain taxpayers was viewed as tax increase by some. Right. Well,
1: let's go back to uh, another call, and we have Marcia, who's been patient. Marcia. Hello. Hello, Marcia. Go ahead, please.
7: Yes. Hi. Um, I came in on this kind of late, and it's been really, really good. Uh, but I was wondering um, if you had uh, answered the question of, um, you know, as far as solving this problem, do you think they'll get down to the point of just? Um, uh, trying to do a one-liner to raise the debt ceiling. And also, um, people aren't understanding the 14th Amendment clause, and if you could explain that, you know, what's the risk of doing that, if any? Uh, not only maybe to the presidency, but to the economy and that sort of thing. So I kind of had a two-part question there.
0: Okay. John? I appreciate it.
2: Uh, I can respond to both of those things, I think. First of all, the one-line Legislation is what's needed right now. The line that says the debt ceiling is increased to 25 trillion dollars, full stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, then, then Congress can have a reasoned discussion about uh, uh, what kinds of caps uh, it cho- might choose to make on uh, domestic discretionary and entitlements and uh, uh, defense discretionary. It can discuss the. Uh, broadening of the tax base uh, and all, all those matter of things. We, we're not going to get sound um, uh, fiscal policy coming out of this uh, heated and pressed discussion right now. So, yes, the one-liner is the way to go. And, you know, we could get to that point uh, out of desperation um, if, uh, if the sane people s- suddenly start bubbling to the top in the discussion. The 14th Amendment, uh, Section 4 of the 14th Amendment, says the validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law, including debts incurred for payments of pensions and bounties for services in suppressing insurrection or rebellion, shall not be questioned. All right. Now, uh, a number of legal scholars say uh, that this means that uh, the government of the United States uh, cannot default. It is not permitted def- to default. Uh, and if anyone is uh, in the process of starting to move toward default, um, they're committing treason. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, that suggests that the president can, can say, Constitution overrides statute, the debt law, limit is statutory, and so I can direct the Treasury to proceed to borrow to cover the the cash shortfall. Mm -hmm. Uh Um, Now if President Obama does that, uh, first of all, he should be praised. Mm -hmm. Second of all, he will be impeached. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, Okay. so I don't know how that works out. (laughs) Uh, he's he is he said I I I don't want to do Fourteenth Amendment, mm-hmm. but whether it, if he comes down to the second and nothing's happened, if he changes his mind, I don't know.
4: Mhm.
1: Yeah. All right. Any other? Todd, you have a uh, reaction.
3: So I want to go back to John's Thank first you. point that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Thank you. We have very serious long-run fiscal imbalances in this country and. The main driver uh, is is Medicare and these entitlements programs. So if you look at uh, CBO projections, and I would – interested listeners can go to the CBO webpage. They have a lot of great documents. CBO stands for? Congressional Budget Office. Okay. Thank you. Um, CBO.gov. CBO.gov. Or if you just Google CBO long-term economic outlook. They do these long-term projections uh, for these entitlement programs. And that's really what's going to drive our debt over the next 50 years or so. So in the next 50 years, the projected increase in Medicare and Social Security and Medicaid is roughly 20% of GDP. Uh, Over the last four decades, total government spending, not including interest payments, but total government spending has been 20% of GDP. So what that means is the government could just set up a Medicare-Medicaid shop uh, in 2050, and they would be the same size as they are today. So th- it's no doubt that these long-run fiscal imbalances are real, and we need to have a serious discussion about how to resolve these problems, and I don't think you can have a serious discussion holding the country hostage, uh, and this is, what, this is what elections should be about.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, Todd's exactly right. Uh, some people have suggested that the, w- the best way to think about the federal government is that it's a heavily armed insurance company. <laughs> uh, if if you take if you take national national defense uh medicare social security, and medicaid uh you're at base close to seventy five percent of total federal spending wow. and and that doesn't include the spending of the homeland security the you know the people that protect us by sorting through our luggage and our underwear when we fly planes right. <laughs> uh, or or build borders uh, to keep uh Uh, Latin Americans from coming uh, into the U.S. to work.
1: We'll we'll get more into this uh, discussion after we take a short break. I want to again remind our listeners who our guests are today that you've been listening to. John Meixel, who was just speaking, professor of economics at at SPIA SPIA at Indiana University. Todd Walker, assistant professor of economics at IU. And Charles Taylor, professor of political science at Ball State University's Bowen Center for Public Affairs. You're listening to Noon, Noon Edition. We'll be right back.
8: This is Noon Edition
2: on WFIU. Production support comes from Smithville. Information at smithville.net. You can take WFIU with you by downloading our podcasts directly to your PC, Mac, or MP3 player. Programs such as Noon Edition, Ask the Mayor, and Harmonia, and short features like Kinsey Confidential, the Ether Game Musical Mini Quiz, and Play and Opera Reviews are all available on demand.
1: Welcome back to Noon Edition. I'm Bob Zaltzberg from The Herald Times along with co-host Mary Catherine Carmichael. And the topic today is the national debt, the debt ceiling, and the crisis in Washington, D.C. If you want to join us on the program, please call us at 855-0811 or 877-285-9348. You can also join us on the website, wfiu.org slash noon edition. I have a couple of quick corrections to make. I do want to say that uh, John Michael is a professor of public finance in SPIA and uh, Charles Taylor is an assistant professor of political science at Ball State University.
0: Okay. We've had a couple of questions that have come in via live chat, so we'll take these one at a time, please. Pardon me. From Paul Krugman to Joseph Stiglitz, economists have argued that public spending to increase demand, a Keynesian approach, is called for during a bad recession. Won't cutting spending now with diminished demand and high unemployment, likewise a catastrophe for underemployed Americans?
3: So the the first point is that, from Paul Krugman to Joe Stiglitz, it's not, that's not very wide range of <laughs> economic thought there. That's, uh, but, but, but it is right. So one of the lessons that we learned from the Great Depression was that uh, you don't want the government tightening their fiscal belt the same, same time that households are tightening their fiscal belt. So this, this, this language about how uh, households are tightening their belt, that the government needs to respond in kind, it, is a mistake. And again, it goes back to uh, these automatic stabilizers. So when you have a severe recession, you want things like unemployment insurance, and they're going to they're pick up mm-hmm. substantially. Uh, so that's automatic government spending that's going to kick in, and almost by definition revenues are going to fall, so you're going to run deficits. So having uh, uh, counter-cyclical fiscal policy, which means when GDP goes up, you expect spending to come down, that's a good economic policy. That's right. There is some debate about how much spending you need, so if you, if you listen to, to guys like Paul Krugman, uh, they wanted a lot more. So there is some debate about how much, but I think among really uh, good economists, there's not a debate that you want countercyclical fiscal policy. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. The uh, next comment that came in, uh, what do you think of the argument that the Republicans have championed debt reduction as a politically acceptable cover for keeping unemployment high and thereby weaken the likelihood that President Obama will be reelected?
4: Oh gosh. You like this one? Um, I I can't read anybody's minds. I mean it, it's it's clear that uh I mean there's a lot of research to show that you know poor poor economic conditions are you know hurt chief elect uh, chief executives whether it's president governors of states it hurts their electoral chances. Um, that's I'm I'm pretty cynical. Um I'm not sure I'm that that cynical. I I, I think you know these policies—they—they they, they fit hand in glove with a, with a lot of Republican priorities. They're—they're they're not, you know, they've never been all that keen on on a lot of uh, social and domestic uh, programs, and uh, I think even more so as some of the ones been uh, elected, but uh, recently. But uh, there are many reasons why they might, uh, you know, have this focus on on deficit reduction.
1: Yeah, and I have to say, I think uh, the questioner called it debt reduction, which is not the same thing and there wouldn't be a mm. debt reduction even right. with deficit reduction Right. Mm-hmm. all right we have a lot of phone calls now there are people waiting to talk to us so let's go to uh, mike who's on the phone mike
5: hello hi mike are hi. you there go ahead Yes, i'm here mm-hmm. uh, right uh, uh, i'll start off by saying first i am that cynical but that's another story <laughs> <laughs> uh anyway uh there's there's two quick things that uh I might have missed the first few minutes of the program, but I was trying to trying to uh, uh, hear someone say that apparently that the main thing about the uh, about the debt ceiling is that this this isn't spending money we don't have. This is money that's already been allocated. It has to be spent because of the programs involved. Hello, you're there. Yeah. We're okay. listening. Yep. Sorry, right. It's not a matter of 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 the Congress allocating the money. The programs have already been. Passed, and therefore, I think the president's even obligated to send them to the send the money to be spent to the particular uh, departments. Uh, the second thing is, unemployment is high. If you notice, because all these public sector workers are being laid off in in the last uh, oh, let's say two or three months, especially in all these states that got Republican governors that decided, well, we're just going to give business a break of three billion dollars or something, and we're going to lay off a hundred thousand. Uh, public workers or things like that. That's why unemployment is staying around nine percent, nine two, nine point two percent, which, by the way, is not that much, not that much higher than what the uh, president's council said. He said it'd be by the summer, it'd be about eight point eight percent. So they're not that far off. So. Uh,
1: l- let me ask our experts here: Is, is this um, truthful or factual that there are more public employees being laid off than private sector employees? Do You all know.
5: Yeah, can I jump in? I didn't quite say that. I just said that basically most of the unemployment that's come in the last three or four months, if you look at it, the private sector has been gaining jobs. The public sector is the ones where they're laying everybody off.
6: Mm-hmm.
5: And you know, just just look at the facts.
1: Okay, well that's what I was trying to do.
5: Yeah, that's 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 pretty much the facts. In about six or seven states, where Republican governors won election, uh, where Republicans won election to the governorships, in states like Michigan. Uh, Wisconsin, uh, o- Ohio,
0: you know, just go down
5: the list, and it's no—I don't think it's a coincidence. But, but, I mean, they may honestly believe that stimulating business uh, would help that, but I, I just don't see that.
1: All right. Any reaction? Well, there, there have
2: been reductions in federal employment too. Exactly. So it's not—it's not just states and localities that are laying folks off. It's—it's it's also yeah, the federal. But I
5: mean, it really hurts when you when you're at those at the state and local level, of which you have. If the, if the federal government lives off 40,000 workers, they've got, what, 4 million, something like that. If, if state lays off 40,000 workers and they've got 100,000, that makes a big, big difference.
4: Okay. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think especially going forward with this, you know, the, the focus on, on deficit reduction and cuts, uh, you know, potential cuts in domestic policy, you're going to see uh, – states and local governments are going to see a reduction in federal aid on a, a wide range of programs. And, you know, how they deal with those, there there could well be, um, you know, more uh, reductions in, in public employment depending on how they decide to address those.
1: All right. We've, uh, we've gone to – we're going to go to a new caller. We've got Michael from Columbus. So, Michael, go ahead.
8: Yeah, thank you for taking my call. Um, the one conversation that doesn't seem to be making it into the national or local or academic world at all is a whole conversation of the discussion regarding the wars, the trillions or maybe a trillion and a half dollars we've spent on the war, and the fact that we don't have or have not had a tax placed on the current American public to pay for those wars. And I I struggle mightily with the fact that those costs are going to be passed forward to our children. Reaction?
4: Uh, I think, I mean, there's no doubt that... uh, you know that that spending and tax cuts that have happened uh, in the last several years has contributed, uh, you know, to the to the increased deficit uh, that we've seen now. And you know that's one of the issues um, in some of the different uh, you know debt ceiling plans that are going now is the, the way they're actually their plans to wind down some you know defense spending uh, overseas here and how that gets gets counted uh, I think Harry Reid uh, Senator Reid's wanting to count that as part of his plan others are saying well you know those pla- that th- those reductions are already planned so that doesn't count
8: uh, but that's not a tax on the public and and so we walk away having engaged in war and never having either a had national service to participate in those wars or B, paid for those wars and it's completely disingenuous on the part of the of our public officials to not recognize that. And I wonder if in, in American history, there is a parallel where we've not taxed the public when we go to war.
3: Uh, so I'll, I'll chime in here. The the highest debt GDP ratio that we've ever had in this country is roughly 120 percent. And that was after World War II. Uh, it came down gradually uh, from 120 uh, percent to roughly 30 uh, percent around 1980. And then uh, the Reagan administration. Uh, came in and, and spent and decreased taxes, and it went up. It almost doubled in the 1980s, and then we had sustained growth in the 1990s that brought the debt GDP uh, ratio down. So the one thing that so the point that I'm trying to make here is that there are a lot of ways of reducing our debt. Uh, you could grow. So in the 1980s, we had this tremendous increase in debt. And in the 1990s, we had tremendous growth, the longest economic expansion in U.S. history. And that brought down the U.S. debt, the growth debt, not necessarily an increase in taxes. Uh, You can also – I mean, this is not a good option, but you can also print money and inflate the debt away. Uh, Not a good option, but – so it's not necessarily the case that if you ratchet up spending, you have to also ratchet up tax rates one for one. Uh, But I think the caller is right in that we have uh, – during World War II – uh, we had things like war bonds and people were a lot more patriotic and willing to pay more for the wars. And I think the caller 's right that uh, this time around there hasn't been much discussion about this.
8: Yeah. We've, 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 I'm hearing people are tired of war, but what part of that are they tired of? Not spending the money to pay for the war or not sending soldiers or not being soldiers themselves? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's a challenging time, and I, I, I hope that our legislators can – realize that we all should be paying for the wars we're fighting today. And that's out of respect for the soldiers who are fighting. All right.
1: Thank you, Michael. Thanks a lot for the call. Thank you. All right. And now let's go to Joan. Joan? Uh... Yeah. Yeah, go right ahead, please.
7: There's a famous quote from Alan Greenspan that uh, if you had the right people at the table, you could solve Social Security in 15 minutes, having spent 10 minutes on pleasantries. And I'm wondering if anybody there knows uh, what that solution would be, and um, I'll uh, listen on the radio. Thank
2: you. Yeah, I, I do a class exercise uh, on this uh, uh, regularly, and it takes us about five minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it involves increasing the retirement age to, to 70. Uh, it, in, it involves uh, um, extending the coverage of the Social Security tax. Uh, to all wage and salary income, uh, not without having the current ceiling at 100 and 105,000, something like that, um, and uh, uh, indexing uh, benefits to uh, to a, a price index that more accurately f- reflects cost of living. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, it, it is in fact uh, fairly easy to do.
1: So, if could you expand on that just a little bit? I mean, it, this would bring in a lot more money generally. We'd-
2: well, it would do work on both sides. Both sides, it, it right? Would, it would uh, uh, change the the outflow and it would increase the the inflow. Mm-hmm. And you know, there's no other option. Uh, no other options. I mean, you mm-hmm. could you could. Uh, say, well, the, the, the cash that's in the, uh, in the Social Security Trust Fund could now be uh, uh, in, uh, invested in higher yielding uh, uh, assets. Uh, but when you did that, uh, you'd be picking up greater risk, and so that would be a, an issue. But, but yeah, I mean, just, just looking at the, uh, at the economics, it's pretty easy to do. I mean, the, the problem is Medicare. Nobody knows how to fix Medicare.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm just gonna say if, the, if it's so easy to do, why isn't anybody doing it?
2: Well, it's, it's this is it's the same problem that we've talked about earlier. Uh, it's it's politics. Yeah, it's, yeah, it was, it's, it's
3: difficult mm-hmm. politically, but yeah, Medicare is the real problem. Mm-hmm. I mean, Social Security is not near so. It would take Greenspan maybe a couple of days when we talk about Medicare because uh-huh. it's much more <laughs> difficult.
1: <laughs> right. Okay. Our phone number is again eight five five zero eight one one eight seven seven two eight five nine three four eight. 811 877 285 noon edition if you want to send us a note or send us a comment or a question. Let's go to Bill from Terre Haute. Bill? Uh,
6: yes. Um, my, my comment or question there's a, some of the people are saying that the problem is it's not an an expense issue or spending too much money. It's a matter we have not enough revenue uh, from jobs uh, paying into the system. So my question on that is, what are your thoughts about uh, taxing uh, retail inventory that's made outside the country and and relieving them of a tax, or giving them a tax break on inventories of domestically made goods?
4: Charles, you want to why don't you give it? Give that one a try. <laughs> uh, I can't speak a whole lot to the economic in, impacts of that, but I, I guess you know politically, you, you look at what's going on. Those are the sort of policies that would, I think, would be a non-starter in, in Washington right now because of the you know the, the the gridlock and the deadlock that's going on.
3: So I'll say this: I, I don't think that it's just a, a revenue problem. It's also, again, the, the long-run projections for government spending, especially these entitlements programs. Uh, suggest that uh, revenues alone aren't going to be able to handle it. You have to have – everything has to be on the table here. We have to have creative ways of increasing revenue. We also have have to have serious conversations about entitlement reform. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Thanks a lot for the call, Bill. 855-0811 in Bloomington, 877-285-9348 outside of the Bloomington area. org slash Noon Edition is our web address.
0: I just wanted to kind of bring the discussion back home as far as what – What really is at stake here um, as these discussions go forward? And I'd like really to hear from each of you and get each of your perspectives on that.
3: So, again, I I use the word catastrophe if if things don't uh, progress uh, further along, if the debt ceiling issue is not taken care of. And then I think, uh, again, we need to have a longer uh, debate about the longer term outlook of fiscal policy in this country. But again, that, I think that's what elections should be about. Uh, and so what I would like to see happen is uh, an increase in the debt ceiling and, and and have the next election – have this be uh, the issue in the
4: next election because I think it is that important.
6: Mm-hmm. Uh,
4: I would largely echo that. I I, uh, I think you know, if we get to August 2nd or whatever the actual date ends up being, that, that the Treasury at, at that point, they only have incoming revenues, um, you'll see however they decide to prioritize the – the uh, payments you'll see a large you know potentially a large reduction even for a short term in federal money coming to indiana mm-hmm. uh, i've seen some projections depending on how they prioritize it if it lasted two months anywhere from 800 million to a billion dollars and, and that's a lot of money to take out of the economy and have that'll have some uh, long-lasting effect is that
0: going to slow down the the building of i-69 because that would make some people around here really happy
4: That um, that would depend on some decisions that the that the state makes in the you know if that federal money coming in slows down I think a lot of that will depend on whether they think it's sort of a a temporary halt while they you know work things out or if they think it's going to last over the longer term. Mm -hmm. John, I'll I'll take a very
2: short term view. Uh, It has been said that uh, uh, this voluntary default uh, would be the Greatest unforced error in in history, wow. not just U.S. history, but world history. Uh, and I would I would suggest that uh, uh, if it, if a default happens, uh, all politicians involved in the process should never ever be permitted to use the phrase "The United States is the greatest country in the world," because great countries don't default.
1: All right. We have a phone call. Mark from Bloomfield.
7: Yes. uh, First of all, I've heard several people kind of ask, you know, is it spending? Is it uh, tax revenue? It's everything. I mean, you know, treat this like you'd treat your own debt problem. You know, you've got to, what what can I not spend money on? What what do I just not need? Let's get things prioritized. Um, Second of all... You know, the elephant in the room barely being talked about. Finally we had one gentleman refer to the war. Mm-hmm. Not just the war. It's the military. And you know, I heard talk about entitlements. There's no bigger entitlement than the than the waste and the that goes to the military, that goes to the and the farm subsidies, that goes to the people who are digging up federal grounds and and you know, sawing down the trees. For a pittance of, of fee, we have a huge corporate welfare system in this country that makes the, the poor woman with uh, three illegitimate kids look like a piker as far as how much you know waste is going in that direction. And nobody talks about it. Your your guests here barely want to touch on it. I don't know whether well, no. I think I think I think we all
2: agree. We all know that national defense is twenty is twenty percent of total federal spending. We know that Medicare is thirteen percent. We know that Social Security is twenty percent. We know that Medicaid is eight percent. We know exactly where the numbers are. Uh, What we are saying is those are important things to deal with, but that's not the big problem right now that's not the big problem right now that's the, el- the big problem the elephant in the room is def- is default i'm sorry, and members of Congress have all voted to make this spending occur uh they 've all voted they 've approved the spending the purchases are being made. The problem is right now we don't have the cash to do it and congress is not is not coming up with the cash uh through extending the the debt ceiling, to fix the immediate problem.
7: Well, there's a question that, that there's two questions here. One is, Is that are we going to pay our debts? And, and the other is, is, what are we going to do about our debts after we borrow more money to pay our debts? Yeah. And, and the, that question goes on. That question has been going on, and nobody really wants to address it because we don't have a two-party system. We have a one-party system. Mark, we have a right and a left party that belong to corporations who suck the welfare money out of the public pocket.
1: Mark, I think you've made a, a really important point here, and it's one that we've tried to make earlier, which is, this, this, there, this is a, there's a short-term problem and there's a long-term problem. And you're, you, know, you want us to talk more about the long-term problem, but today's topic really is the short-term problem. So we're going to go on to the next caller. Stand on the
7: mountaintop and
1: scream it. we got Mm -hmm. Conrad on the phone. Conrad?
7: Uh, Hi, yeah. Just a quick question. I hear the term
6: default, but as I understand it, um, revenues will allow uh, the Treasury to be paying interest on the debt, and um, I'm just wondering why we use the term default when in fact we're probably not going to default on the debt. Uh, It should be... Phrased differently, it seems to me. It seems like uh, default um, is uh, leaves the wrong impression.
4: I, I'd say, uh, yeah, clearly, not paying interest on the debt or not paying debt you owe is one form of default. But when you you look at at the financial commitments, you know, spending that Congress has already committed to through legislation, uh, there's other spending, uh, you know, other payments that they've committed to, and they won't be able to make all of them, and so it's. Um, you know, even if they don't technically default on the debt, they still fail to pay uh, bills that they've committed to pay. Mm-hmm. And
6: yeah, uh, just one comment, one more comment, if I may. Um, I, I certainly understand that. I think the problem with using the term default is uh, many uh, citizens kind of equate that to personal finances, defaulting on your mortgage, um, uh, defaulting on your credit cards and things like that. And then they start to draw the analogy between their personal uh... finances and the um... uh... you know the federal government and those are not that's not a fair analogy because there's no such thing as bankruptcy available to the united states so i just just to me it seems like the term uh... you know favors kind of the radical tea party argument um, uh, uh... trying to draw parallels between uh... really apples
4: and oranges. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly what the term you would use for that. I guess maybe the better, you know, if, if you're going to make a comparison to personal finance, um, uh, paying the, you know, the interest on the federal debt and not paying some of the other bills is sort of like not paying your electric bill so that you can make your mortgage payment. Um, you, know, you don't default on your mortgage. You may still end up sitting in the, in the dark because uh, people refuse to supply you with, with services if you're not going to pay for them.
6: Yeah, I certainly understand that. I just think, um, you know, once again, it's politics framing the argument and um, obscuring the real issues. Um, So anyway, that's all
1: I had to say. Thanks, Conrad. Thanks a lot for the call. Um, In the last couple of minutes, I wanted wanted to ask John Mikesell first and then the rest of you can jump in about this uh, idea of a balanced budget amendment. Would this be a reasonable approach, as the Republicans are suggesting?
2: Uh, it's it's a political gimmick. Um, first of all, it's not clear what the what you mean by with a balanced budget mean, uh, uh, amendment. Does it mean that uh, the president is uh, required to submit a balanced budget that Congress is required to pass uh, appropriations that are in balance? Does it mean that at the end year is done that there can be no a uh, uh, no deficit? Uh, it's kind of an empty empty box um it's also not really enforceable um if you if you violate it who do you sue uh, i don't know uh, it's not clear it also uh puts economic policy in a in a bad in a bad bind when you go into a recession you really kind of wanna run a deficit um and uh that would uh, that would have the uh, the impact of deepening uh, deepening the recession mm-hmm. and then there 's the problem of uh what do you do with capital investments uh, i mean every member of Congress borrowed in order to run for a for election why don 't they use that standard on themselves doesn 't make sense uh, people uh, people borrow to buy houses and cars and and governments borrow to build bridges and buildings and and things like that and and uh, to, to put that in the, in the pot is absolutely uh, ludicrous. And then finally, if you have a balanced budget requirement, you just simply ask government to to come up with gimmicks to avoid it. I mean that's what states do uh, to, uh, to get around their balanced budget amendment.
1: All right. We are out of time. I want to thank our guests today uh, for being here with us, John Mikesell, Todd Walker, and Charles Taylor. Thank you all for a very uh, informative discussion. I also want to thank Mary Catherine and producer Rachel Lyon, engineer Mike Pashkash. I'm Bob Salzberg. Thanks for listening.